Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I'm catching up with Cub member Riley Stewart, the founder and CEO of More Gym Members or MGM. MGM is a marketing agency that specializes in getting gyms more members, exactly what they say they do. When Riley joined Cub, he was our youngest member ever at only 21 and since then has grown a a bit of an empire for himself. Now MGM has over 20 staff. Riley bought six gyms for himself as well uh, and has even launched a supplements company. He's an incredible guy. We spoke about a bunch of things, mostly to do with marketing, which he's an expert in. Riley shared secrets in building the perfect Facebook ads, how to write brilliant marketing copy, and how we use COVID as an opportunity rather than a negative in an industry which, as we know, got hammered in COVID. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy the show. You know, when you joined, you were the youngest member. Am I still the youngest member? No, definitely not. Really? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you're still pretty young. You're, you're, was, you're uh, in the top three, I'd say. How old are you now? 24. Oh, you are pretty young. You'd be in the, you, you're in the very, do you know what the average age of a member actually is? 45. No, 40, uh, 41 is the average and 43 is the most common, okay. most common age or so. One of those two, which is quite interesting though, yeah. because a lot of the members you think of, We'll see, we probably show ourselves to be excessively young because mm. when you look at Cub, you always see super young entrepreneurs. Weird. Anyway, Riley, welcome to the show. How yeah. are you, man? I am very well excited to be here. Yeah, it's the 69th episode. So <laughs> beautiful. You've got, yeah, you've got um, a big task to make it a special one. Excellent. Um, Mandy, why don't you give us a bit of a introduction to your um, business? You've been a member for one of the first members in Melbourne. So you probably joined in what the first four months of Melbourne being in existence. Mm. You joined when you were the youngest member member ever. Um, and, and actually since you joined, like I was just saying before we started, you've come such a, a long way as, as a person and in business as an entrepreneur. For sure. And why don't you yeah. update us on, on kind of what you have going on mm. now? Well, when I first joined, I so had we can the... att- So we can <laughs> attribute all your success to come. <laughs> <laughs> now tell us, where, where, where are you now? Well, when I first joined, I had just the agency, more gym members. We were at probably uh, three staff, um, maybe two staff then. So that was the only business I had and it was the first business I had that was actually starting to take off and started to do better than six figures or get multiple six figures. Um, and then now I just had to do the math on it. I've got 10 companies. So I've got six gyms, a software as a service, the agency, which now is 24 staff, and a supplement business um, future labs and then we've got the decentralized finance on the blockchain project so 10 companies and across those is probably 50 staff which is uh a long way <laughs> it From just keeps start. adding up yeah but regardless you're still so young it's pretty incredible but yeah. and and so more gym members that's that's kind of your mothership company mm. that was the first one mm. and, and probably currently the biggest yeah that is a, a digital marketing agency that specializes exclusively in gaining more, uh, more gym members, yeah. more, more memberships yeah. for, for gyms. Yeah? yeah, exactly right. So we, we decided, I decided very early on to niche down just a gym because then what we do for one gym, if we can find something that works in one gym, we can apply it to the next gym and the next gym and the next gym. And then we can kind of 
get this massive like hive of mass learning between all these data points that we gather across all the gyms and then apply it to the next gym and the next gym. Whereas a generalist agency, they're not really able to do that. Yeah, well, niching in anything is, is probably the way to go because you become an expert. Like, is there are there other marketing companies that specialize exclusively on gyms? Mm. There's a number. We are, to the best of my knowledge, we're number two largest in the world. Mm. The largest is in the U.S., and they're not very good, and they're starting to decline, but I'm sure everyone says that. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah, it's actually best not to say that yeah. because, because everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah. no I don't believe him. Yeah. No one believes what you say it. Yeah. But it's, um, there's, there's other leadership <laughs> communities. They all fucking suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, in terms of like number of clients, that's where I believe they stand. We're, we're either, we're fighting top one with them um, in terms of size. We, there was a number of them that uh, crashed and burned throughout COVID. So we lost a number of competitors, thankfully. Um, and now there's a few that are starting to pop up again. You're starting to get ones that are like, oh, maybe there's an opportunity in marketing for gyms. But the point is the fact that you are able to be in a fight to be one of the largest um, agencies is because you have such a specific niche, mm. which means that, A, by getting a great niche, you eliminate a lot of your comp- a lot of other competition. Mm. Right? You don't have to compete, for example, with, other mar- with the other digital marketing firms. But also uh, you become an expert and known as an expert in that in that specific area, which is a huge, yeah. which is a, a huge plus. And and so that's more gym members. And then obviously, I'm assuming you must have. I want to hear your side of the story, but I'm then assuming that because you figured out how to grow gyms, you decided to buy. buy yeah, well, that's that's exactly gyms. right. I was never a personal trainer. I was never a. I always went to gym, but I was never a PT, and I had never intended on being a PT. So all my knowledge of running gyms was just from having thousands of conversations with gym owners trying to sell them. <laughs> and then someone would eventually say something good, a little nugget, and I'd take it away and add it to like my Bible of how to run a gym very well. Then gradually my Bible of how to do it just became very, very good from talking with a thousand gym owners. Some of them had some great stuff. And then I thought, <laughs> we're getting you all these members. Why are we only taking a small fraction of what that generates? Why don't I just start taking over the gyms? Why don't I get myself some members? Yeah, get I- yeah. And 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 you obviously did the same concept with the uh, supplements. Supplements is a very competitive industry. Though, what made you jump in there? Well, it's like Facebook taking over Instagram. They have the ability to leverage their network already, and then kind of partner the two together. So we've already got a captivated audience of 150 gyms across Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, UK. Why don't we start selling to their members as well? So it was a logical step. Um, so then we just launched the supplement brand last year through Incredible. COVID. Yeah, and 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 um, yeah. So you really just entrench yourself in this gyms, not even fitness space. Oh, yeah, I guess fitness space, but really gym space. That's mm. where you've mm. entrenched yourself in. And, and <clears throat> it, was that on purpose? Did you like? Were you planning from? Uh, I already know by asking you, did you always want to be in business? You're definitely going to say, oh, yeah. you're that type of person. But yeah. but was it always, I want to be in the gym business? No, I or, had no idea. Well, then why don't you, well, take us back. Well, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in Melbourne? Uh, I was born in Bansdale in three hours uh, east of Melbourne okay. in the country and then moved to Melbourne when I was maybe four or five. And then I've been here my whole life. Yeah. And so were your f- family parents were they farmers or were they yeah all both sides of the family come from a farming background yeah mum's a kindergarten teacher dad's an accountant 
Yeah, know? but and they have farming backgrounds. And their, their parents were all farmers and their parents were farmers. The thing yeah. with farmers, I've always said it, we love anyone who comes to Cub that, that wants a, a job and they were from farming or the family's from farming, I always reckon they're the best people because no one works harder and has better mental strength <laughs> than people in like agriculture and in mm. farming. Mm. Like they are the just mentally strong. The environment screws them up all the time. Yeah. And they, and, and constantly. You, yeah. You, the power's always in, in the sky's hands, yeah. you know, like you, uh. they build strong people. And, and so did your, did your family then encourage you to get into business at a young age or was, was that an inner thing? Was that something inside you saying, no, no, I, I need, what is that? Why did you want to get in business? It's interesting. I've always been very curious. Like I was watching a video <laughs> mum pulled out some old recordings of me when I was a little toddler, probably two years old. And here I was like dabbling my fingers in the puddle and I was watching it like, damn, I was curious. And I was just like experimenting, dropping rocks in the puddle and seeing how the ripples work and whatnot. So I was always very curious about how things work. And I always understood how things work very well. And dad, he has his own accounting firm. He's got a few staff in that. Um, so I think that was definitely somewhat of an inspiration looking up to your father and his in business, similar with your father in business it gives you a bit of a guide and it's like, I want to do that. Yeah, it's incredible the the effects that your surroundings can have on you. One thing I'm like, because obviously I speak to a lot of members in this podcast now, um, and a lot of them, obviously I've known you for over three years, but mm. a lot of the people that come on the show I've never met. And you get to see like these kind of differences, like someone like yourself or people with parents that were in business are far more likely to grow up wanting to be in business. Mm. But there's a lot of members actually, or there's a lot of business owners, sorry, that that wasn't their intention, but the way, you know, opportunity found it, they ended up kind of just stumbling and falling into business and, and that became um, who they are. So it, it's just really interesting how an upbringing can affect, uh, can, in, uh, yeah, I guess impact uh, uh, someone in, in terms of what they think is possible mm. with their life. Do you feel like you're you know, watching your, I guess, father made you feel like there was more possible, like you could achieve more? It's an interesting question. I never, re I think uh, mum being a kindergarten teacher, I was very lucky that she was well educated in how to raise a kid that has not no limiting beliefs. So I always dedicate, I always put that down to her ability to raise me well. <laughs> so I didn't really believe there was anything that wasn't possible from day one, um, which I'm very grateful for. Shout like, out to mum. It's yeah. Great plan. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and then I, I always would ask dad uh, accounting questions. I'd always be asking him about money. I loved shiny things. I still love crystals. I have a massive crystal collection. It's just growing and growing and try to get big collector's pieces because I always loved crystals. And then attached to that was kind of shiny things and money. So I always wanted to figure out how to get more of that. Even when I was, I made my first thousand dollars when I was 10 that I'd saved up self-made from selling chocolate to family and friends and um, my dad mostly. <laughs> I'd buy it for $2. He's fat now. Luckily, I own a few gyms for him to go to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and so so obviously it's just – well, that, that's a really interesting point. It wasn't just the um, – it wasn't just the example of your father. It was actually the upbringing and mental training of, of mm. fr from your mother that kind of yeah. created this – young individual that just wanted to get into <laughs> and a weird obsession with shiny things <laughs> that created someone that wanted to get into business. And what was your first job? Did you mm. go straight into business or did you get, did you, did you, end up, did you get a job? Well, after the chocolate gig, I started, <laughs> I bought a whole bunch of bulk buy, um, 
uh, iPod cases. This was when iPod touches first came out. I started s- selling those at high school. People would come over to my locker and what color do you want? I'd sell them a thing for 20 bucks. Um, and then I started selling crystals online that I had found and people in Russia were buying them. People in the US were buying them. I'm like, this is cool. And then I got a job as a pizza chef. So that was my first actual job working for someone. It was the second job I've ever worked for someone. The only time besides the next gig that I worked for someone else. You know, that was my first job as well. Pizza chef. Yeah, or pizza delivery boy. Yeah. But I could make my own pizzas as part of payment. So at the end of the night, you could make two pizzas for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then um, uh, I got promoted to head chef and I was managing four people there. Pump, we were pumping out three pizzas a minute. Like you've never seen anyone make pizzas faster than I can make pizzas. Like it was, not, I, would just, I would literally be in a dream, like asleep, and I'll be making pizzas in my sleep. And I'll start hitting the wall and waking myself up because I'm moving in my sleep. And I go, whoa, what's going on there? Like I got really good at <laughs> making pizzas. But do you think it's because you obsess over the things you do? Oh, I'm definitely obsessed. If I commit to something, I'm going till physical failure. Like I'm, same with the gym. Every rep, you go to failure or every set to a failure. You are an odd one because, like we said, the, the really yeah, probably most members would be between 30 and 50 and mm. you've got – you, you're 24 or 25 now, but when you joined, you were only 21 or whatever it was, and mm. and you've already kind of uh, achieved a, a great amount of success. It's just interesting to kind of learn your perspective on, on the world, your perspective on yourself. It's probably good uh, training for most members to hear for their kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it puts a lot of pressure on them. I'm worried about when I have kids. And did your parents put pressure on you? I don't feel like there was really any pressure to do anything other than what I wanted to do. And so when was the point where you started this first business, the re- the real mm. business? What was that? How old were you and what was the reason you got into marketing? All right. So if we continue from the pizza place, then I went into um, advanced manufacturing and mechatronic engineering and an international business double degree. I was there for two and a half years in RMIT. And when I reflected after two years of doing that, I was like, everything I'm proud of doing here, every machine that I've built, every system that I've designed, every robot I've created was all self-taught. <laughs> so why am I in uni? Why am I paying them? And why are they dictating what I should do rather than me going and doing it? And uh, I traveled, I did some soul searching. I got a job in, uh, at an engineering firm as a hydraulic engineer and hated it. I just felt my soul crush for six months straight. But why? What was it about it that that you didn't like? It was repetitive. I just had to stare at the computer and draw lines and they controlled it. They dictated it. And I was like, there is better ways of doing this. We could be optimizing these things, but you just want me to draw these lines. What a wasted talent. And did you feel like it was more a waste on yourself? Like I'm wasting myself? Or did you feel also like these people are – I've lost faith in these people because they're wasting – the talents of their staff. Well, the business is structured in a certain way where I had to be in that role. So I don't really blame the business, but it was, uh, and there was 200 engineers in there. So it was a large firm. It was just a waste of my talent. I didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. 25 bucks an hour. Why was I wasting my time? Mm-hmm. Didn't need it. So then did some soul searching around Asia, three and a half months solo. And uh, from there, I decided it was time to just leave uni and start a business. So then I started um, door knocking, selling solar panels. That was the opportunity that came my way and that was terrible. That was just hard. Like I was Door quite knocking or solar panels? Door knocking. Yeah, it's not that but they say that's the best thing you can any person can do to learn sales. Is that yeah. door knock? Yeah, well that's what I kept telling myself. <laughs> that's why that's why I did it for nine months. Uh 
but it did. It did like the way that my hands are moving now naturally. I did not talk like that at all before. So it definitely enhanced my communication skills, both in my vocal, physical, and then the words I say. That's interesting. Yeah, it forged me by fire, in a way. Did you do you feel like you built resilience doing that type of thing? Yeah, for sure. I'm grateful I did it, but I didn't make any money for the nine months. Yeah, but sometimes the point's not. I mean, very few people make a lot of money. A, B. Normally, if you're making a lot of money. It's, it's taken years, it's taken a long time. Mm. Sometimes before you can even get there, it's not, the, the money's not, I mean, the money's never necessarily important, but it's the ability to make it and to make it by producing, providing value to, to society and to, to your team and to, to, to others. And to do that, you need to go through um, um, lessons, like, you know, like what you did, door knocking to sell solar panels. You know, like it's, it's okay, you're not going to make money, but you're going to obtain a huge amount of lessons that are going to serve you. Mm. And like, it's like a like business now, like there's heaps of shit I have to do that I don't like to do. Some of it's really hard, but you know, y- you learn from it. it, makes you stronger, makes your mental state stronger. Uh, and like you said, you don't regret it. It was a good thing. Yeah. So if we continue on from there, I was door knocking again. I started to think this is a bit of a waste of my time. Like, why am I door knocking individually? Why can't I just reach them in the masses? Started looking into marketing and started uh, drop shipping. Tried drop shipping. I was selling little bracelets that I imported from China, little stone bracelets. And I started to learn the world of Facebook ads. And then I saw that there was two opportunities in Facebook ads without any uh, startup costs. Either one, I could do drop shipping, or two, I could do marketing services for other businesses. So I started with drop shipping and I hated it. And then I decided I'd start working with other businesses. So my criteria was like they needed to have a higher ticket price, so restaurants were out, um, and they needed to have some kind of high-volume need so I could constantly be selling them. And Jim's was the first one I chose and stuck with it. And so how did you learn marketing, though? Because you so far you've sold solar panels, made pizzas, and done some sort of engineering. Lots and lots of grueling courses and books, like just obsessed. Like I just wanted to learn – who was the best? How did they become the best? How do I go to the source that they became the best from? So most of the gurus out now, <laughs> their guru was taught by the gurus. So I wanted to find the gurus, which was like Dan Kennedy. Um, Dan Kennedy's an absolute gun and, and uh, he's, he's excellent. Um, and people that were in Dan Kennedy's circle. So I tried to find all of these guys and then learn from them, all their books. Some of the names I've forgotten now, but um, sadly, they're all deceased as well. So Claude Hopkins, he was like in the 1900s, early 1900s. Go to those guys. These are the guys that like invented direct response marketing. So figuring out how they did it. Because they by the end of their life, they're willing to share their secrets. So I wanted to learn from them. So I just absorbed everything. And I would be day in, day out, just listening to it. It would be like five hours a day. I'm walking, I'm listening to it. I'm traveling, I'm listening to it. To really self-taught. Yeah. And, and even though they were from so long ago it's still relevant to digital the digital world the only difference is back then they would send you a letter now you just put an ad on their feed it's the exact same all you're doing is <laughs> finding out what drives their emotions and then triggering their emotions and making it not seem like that's what you're doing you want to do it without them knowing you're doing it and and so you're obsessed over marketing you learned that and you just stuck with gyms because uh, you thought it worked quite well they got i guess would you call it a high ticket item Pretty high some of the guys are high ticket. Some of the guys are only doing maybe they'll charge six hundred bucks a year, but some of our guys will charge ten k a year. So really, we have a massive range. If they're a personal trainer, yeah, cool. And and that was the first. How long did that company take to build a substantial revenue, recurring revenue? 
Uh, I hired a business coach in December 2017 and then that kind of, I said that by June I wanted to have 20K a month and then May 2018 had a 22K a month. So it took about six months. Um, to get to that 22K yeah. a month. That's in revenue. That's revenue, which back then was, <laughs> was a big like deal, 80% yeah. profit too. Oh, really? Back then because it was just me and a VA, so I had no expenses basically. Yeah. So, and you were only 21 or whatever it was. Yeah, so I was. You are doing quite well for it. It was 21. excellent. We'd, yeah. The, the more I hired staff from then on for about two years, the, the <laughs> less money never got back making. to that. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Though, <laughs> trying to grow, but you have to invest. Yeah. And and what I guess so what are these you've 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 dove you've fucking surrounded yourself by these um, great marketers and these direct mm. response things and I guess what are some of the secrets or what are some of the key lessons that you've you've learned when it comes to direct marketing? Entering the prospect's mind. A lot of people they'll write copy and they'll think about it from their perspective. So whenever I write something out. I'll be trying to just think like that person. What is that person experiencing on a day-to-day basis in a story? It's like you're writing a writing a um, a play or something. You want to have the specific scenarios that they experience on a day-to-day basis and paint that picture for them. The pain, like if they're a fifty-five-year-old lady, someone we sell to quite often, they want to be able to play with their grandkids. Like that's something we speak to. Oh, you feel a bit puffed when your grandkids run away and you can't keep up with them or you're a father and you want to be able to play ball with your son. These are the emotional things that people want. They don't want to get fit. Get fit means nothing. They don't want to lose weight. That's nothing. Right. They want, what does that mean? Yeah. How does getting fit, why do you actually want to get fit or how does being fit benefit you Mm. Mm. rather than actually the thing itself? And yeah, I I always try to, you start with like the things that come natural. So you start with like get fit, lose weight. This is what people want. And you have to dig deeper and deeper and try to just make it look like not what everyone else is doing. Because everyone else is thinking that first layer that you're thinking, you need to get to second and third and fourth layers. And then that's where the money is. That's where the, the, because marketing is a lot just about um, looking unique. You need to look like a new, unique opportunity. Even though you're selling the same thing over and over again, like gyms, we just repackage the same thing (laughs) every month. We're just launching a new promotion. It's got this new bow tie on it, but it's the same membership. We just make it look like a new thing to that new niche every time. Um, there's already 40 gyms offering group training. We're just another one that does it better. We package it better. That's the only difference. Well, what are the tips to doing that though? So what, um, I guess, what are some... Niching. 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 So, so there's something, there's a, a term I coined called niche cycling. Um, and this was through trial and error. I decided, I figured out that we needed to do this, which is basically, let's say there's a five kilometer radius around a gym. The average gym, if they can figure out Facebook ads, they'll just run ads for a six-week challenge. It's like, I don't know, I'm targeting everybody. Everybody will buy my stuff. Great. Let's, that's how we get the most people. Let's target everyone. And that's not how it works. <laughs> so we would niche cycle. So we'd go, we'd split it into men, women, uh, under 30, 30 to 50, and then 50 plus. And then that gives you six different types of demographics, core demographics to target. The younger ones under 30, they're typically more about looks. They want to get looks. The women want different looks than the men. Building muscle or, or building their booty is often differentiators. Then the middle-aged kind of age range, those guys, they start to care a little bit less about the looks and it's more about their health and their kids and setting positive examples for their kids. And the men and women, again, have different desires with that. And then the older demographic, they don't give a shit about looks at all. They just want to be... Strong. They want to age well. 
they want to be able to still get up from sitting down and not be worried about it. They don't want to have a fall. So we, we split it into different niches and talk to them all individually. And then we can start to create mum niche, dad niche. You can pick anything, menopause niche. Like you can choose any niche out of that demographic. And then you've got 20 niches and each single one of those will have a specific campaign just for that niche. So 50 plus strength builder, right? Instead of a six week challenge, it's a 50 plus strength builder for the 50 plus ladies. For the men, it's uh, although let's say the young women, it's a fit body project. It's not a six week challenge. It's a fit body project. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's just got a got a better package to it. Yeah. And how do you come up with the? How do you come up with that though? Like, do you have a team? Do you do it yourself? A lot of the initial uh, foundations of that was when I was doing it myself, and then I've taught the team how to do it. Um, but then as well, like sometimes the gym owner will have a good idea. So we've definitely learned stuff from our clients as well. They'll have, they'll be like, why don't you try this? I'm like, oh, that's actually a good one. And then we'll take it and run. But a lot of it is just, we'll sit down and we'll come up with campaign names. We'll just sit there. And a lot of them is trying to take the names from other industries. So I try to see what's working well. What is essentially printing money in another industry through Facebook ads that I can copy and use in this industry. Yeah, so a lot really of good cool. stuff's come from that. And often competition won't look to other industries in order to, no. to learn from. So it gives you that kind of competitive edge. And I guess do you have a process when it comes to actually writing the copy? Do you have a process um, of creating, I guess, persuasive copy? So one of the best things we've done is we'll grab an application form which asks them – so when we start getting some leads, we'll have an application form that says like, why is this important to you? What happens if you don't achieve this? And then in the early days when, we were, when I was creating all our templates that we still use quite a lot, I would read those and I'd create a tally on what are the emotional triggers that people are saying over and over and over again, what words, and I'll highlight key words. And if someone says a very juicy phrase, I'll take that out and put it in a little notepad. Then I'd, I'd create this ranking tally system of what are the most important things and who said it the best. And then I'd put that back in the copy, right? And then I'd use that to sell them again, use the exact same words that they told me to sell them. Um, so that one's a very good way. And if you, if you yeah, clever. talk to the people in person, you know what they want is like gym owners. Number one thing they say is quote, I want more members walking in the door. That's the exact words they use. So that's what we say everywhere. Well, you, you made your company more gym members. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> it is a brilliant name, isn't it? Because you know exactly what it does. Like I always, yeah. I've always loved those companies that, 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 that do that. Like there's no confusion whatsoever. As to what it is you do. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what the fuck people are. Well, I did it so when people Google how to get more gym members, we would be like, oh, more gym members. That's because most of our, uh, at least in the first year and a half, our traffic came from Google. And now we a lot comes from Facebook. Um, but writing copy, like if we would talk about some nuggets of how to write copy, like a common mistake I'll see is that people will write it um, using words like our or we, or they'll use these sensational type of phrases like we're the best, <laughs> best gym in town. Lead- no one believes any of Le- that. Yeah, no one be- leading this, best yeah, this. It's that, crap. Yeah. No one believes it and uh, it's just a fluff word. It's like this space that you've taken. You had a potential real estate to sell someone and you've added this crap that detracts from what you're saying. I don't believe anything you say anymore because you've said you're the best. I agree. Uh, so when you say you've helped 2,300 ladies, I don't believe that anymore because – we help ladies lose weight. That has no impact anymore because you've just told me you're the best. So it's how do like you avoid that? Award-winning number one fish and chip shop. Like <laughs> you see that all the time. No one, no one believes they are the best. So how do you do? How do you make believable copy? Tell stories. So st- facts tell stories sell. I say that it's like my number one copy phrase. <laughs> what is it? Facts tell stories sell. 
So you want to implement facts and stories into it. So people will be like talking about my great offer straight away. And it's too early. I, th I, th I think about it like picking up a woman at a bar or something. You don't go up to them and say, hey, you're pretty cute. You want to go to bed with me? It's like this coercion phase. You want to try to, you want to try to persuade them. You want to like get them into your sphere and make them trust you and know that you understand them. And then well, for start you say, to lure let's them get in. out of here. <laughs> and then you make it seem like their idea. Mm. So, so you'll tell a story. So I'll just like, if I write an ad, I want it to like catch them. It's like, um, in Facebook ads, I want to try to, I call it affinity bombs. I'll try to add as much pieces of affinity as I can into that ad. So in Facebook ads, I know their rough age range. I know their gender. I know their location. So every single ad I write is going to include their gender, their location, and their rough age range. What does affinity mean? It means that people see it and they they think that it relates to related, them. Re yeah, yeah, it's related. related to them. So like 50 plus. <laughs> Are you a 22-year-old woman looking to build your booty then that's yeah you're getting on the right check out this there. story yeah you're getting on the right <laughs> look path. at jessica this is before and after which one do you want <laughs> yeah <laughs> same thing yeah so i'll always affinity bomb so i know that they're in melbourne i know that they're under 30 and i know that they're a woman so i'll mention those three words in the first sentence of the headline every single one or within the first two sentences and then i'll start to tell a story what would be a good one for cup like what would be so let's say we at Carb want more young entrepreneurs under 30. Um, we used to be heaps of young entrepreneurs, but as the community grew, turns out most successful business owners are over 30 and therefore we have a lot, you know, we have a majority of the members are over 30. Uh, we want to get some more, I don't know, 25-year-old business owners. Your demographic, so, right? What would we have as an ad? As a So you want to – I always think everyone's got these train of thoughts – some people, when they try to do marketing, they'll just clash into it and try to get you to think their way. But what we want to have is you, it's like a, I don't know, a guiding ship. You want to come in and attach to theirs and then follow their train of thought and then move their train of thought. Yeah, you don't want to have a big impact with their thought process. You want to, you want to join it. Agree, the, agree with the story that's already in the head. So one of the frustrations I imagine a lot of the club members have is um, the inability to network properly. So I would say something like it's quite frustrating being a business owner and not having the right network around you. You know, you, you really want to just talk business with other business people that understand, but you don't have those people, right? You talk to your family, your wife, they don't understand what's going on. So where do you turn to? You know, you've tried talking to your friends and they'll try to paint the picture. What is it that they feel? What are they frustrated with? What have they done to try to solve that and it hasn't worked? Oh, you've gone into Facebook groups and you've tried networking. A lot of our members have tried that before and they say that now this is X, Y, Z. But how do you, okay, how do you communicate a story or that much information in just one ad? So that, that line that I just used there, that's exactly what I'll start with is the headline. I'm trying to enter their story in the head. So it's very frustrating being a business owner and trying to network with other business owners and not being able to. That would be the first line I'd say. They'd read that because you only got one line and they go, hang on. Yeah, this sounds like me. And then you can. I agree keep going. with that. Yeah, and then you just keep going, and you, you can you can write quite long ads in Facebook, very long ads actually. Okay, um, I really like that. It's really cool. So then, when you do write the Facebook ad, you want to have lots of white spaces. So this is something a pet peeve of mine, and they all screw it up. If you write copy, it's all about spaces. You want to have 
an absurd amount of white space. What do you mean? So if I show you a page that it's just a big block of text, there's like no paragraphs, there's no spacing, there's just a big block of text. You can't read it. You just like, you look at it and you give up before you even start because it's like, this is way too intimidating of a piece of text. So it's like, instead of having a paragraph every five sentences, you would have a paragraph, like a double spacing every two sentences. So maximum you've got like two sentences, a group of text, and then you'll double space, enter, enter. So you've got a exceptionally large white space and then you'll do a very small line and then enter, enter, and then you'll continue. And you want to include things like lots of, um, I call them eye anchors. So when you're scanning pieces of paper, you need eye anchors so that there's like brackets, there's like dot, dot, dots, there's, there's dashes, there's slanted text and bold text. And these are the eye anchors that make it a lot more easy and less intimidating to read through text and comprehend it. Super cool. Mm. Uh, and it's just kind of, it's kind of like having, if having bold, you know, when you bold text, it's you, like, you know, my Monday email when I, when I email the members, there's a lot of fucking text. Yeah. We bold the most important sentence yeah. of each important part. And when you ask the members, hey, did you read my email? Like, yeah, I read all the bold parts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a similar concept. Yeah. It helps you categorize and comprehend things. Yeah. So most people don't do that. Yeah, it's true. No one reads their stuff because of it. True. Give us more stuff. So then it comes down to the image as well. So, so one of the key reasons that we do better ads for gyms is because we kind of brute force it. So when you become better at marketing and, and I've won marketing awards, I've been on stage getting trophies for marketing. Like I'm very good at marketing and very good at copywriting, but even then some ads fail, right? So all you're doing as you learn marketing skills is improving your chance of that ad succeeding. So then even then it's still a data, a data game. Digital marketing is just a data game. When it was direct response marketing, sending out letters, it was just a data game. So you'd have, you'd send out, 50,000 SMSs or 50,000 ads or whatever you do, right? You want to split test a lot of things. It's just split test, split test, split test. So we'll come up with five headlines that we want to test across two clients so we can see if it's the same success in both clients. If if this headline one split testing with that client and the same headline one split testing with that client, we know that that's an actual winner and wasn't a fluke. So we want to get um, congruent results, congruent winners, and then we'll have five headlines another five headlines. We'll have like 25 headlines that we want to test. We'll test it across 10 clients and that'll give us five winners that won on both, both, uh, I'm hoping I'm making sense, but both, <laughs> both gyms. And that's just data game. It's just brute force, just smashing out, spending money on ads to get the data and actually make sure you're learning from that data. So, and really the, the, the lesson is split testing. Split test. Yeah. yeah. It's split test. Like I'll write, I'll spend two days writing four ads. That's a long time for writing some ads. But, but then if I get after one- after split testing or before? This is before. This is yeah. for- This is when you got the affinity word. So you're trying to zone in on the exact yeah. person. Uh, you know, male, you're a male that's in the 20s, that owns a business and have struggled to, and then start telling a story or join their thought process. I, I call it um, getting a fully baked idea. You don't want a half baked idea. You want a fully baked idea. So you start to take some notes down and think about this is what I might be wanting. And as you walk outside and meet with other people, you start to gather inspiration and, and allow your mind to see differently. And then just take notes on that piece of copy that you're working on for a few days. And then by the end of it, I'll come down and I'll go, okay, I've got some good stuff here. I've figured out some different perspectives, even just subconsciously it's happening. And then I'll 
turn that into a piece of copy. I'll write it out and I might launch four ads. One of them takes off and that ad ends up making us 200K just from one, which is what typically, like if I get a winning ad after that process, it'll make us Because you can give it to, your, to all dollars. the different gyms. You basically that yeah. can work for and we'll sign up a lot of gyms from it. So there's two different, the gym ads are very different to the ads that we're doing to sell to business owners. So I focus on the ones that we're selling to business owners. The team now does the ones for the gyms. Um, but when we have a winner, that will last for five months. We can run the same ad, put $100,000 ad spend behind it, and it will last for five okay, months. Okay, so summarize that for us and summarize the process you go through in order to create an ad. So most people in business, they know how to sell, right? They know some questions to ask. You're probing like, why is this important to you? What have you tried in the past? What would you change about what you're doing? Start to dot point out. You can just Google like what are some questions that you might ask in sales and then it's just sales in print. So those questions start to think what are the questions related, like what answers might that person be giving and then your copy is is uh, talking about those. So what are you trying now? I'm trying to lose weight in the gym. Why hasn't that worked in the past? I don't know. I just didn't have a coach. I didn't have an accountability, anything. And, and why is this important to you? I really want to be able to play with my grandkids. So then I start speaking to that. Uh, I want to play with my grandkids. Okay. So I'll go into forums. This is how we came up with the 50 plus strength builder. And this thing made us, it's probably sold more than a million dollars in memberships. This one campaign. It took me a week <laughs> because the copy is so good because I was in forums and I was reading like Amazon reviews and I was in forums reading, again, doing the tally system. I was reading what are the key points that people are saying over and over and over again about why they really want it and what are their pain points and products they bought on Amazon that they thought would solve it and that they didn't sell it. They didn't solve the problem by having that product and what they wish it did have in that product that we could sell them with. So then get the tally and then I just start writing pieces. I just, you just, by that stage you get an idea you want to write the copy, um, write multiple pieces of copy, and then read it out loud. If you don't read it out loud, you're never going to get good copy. It's just not going to work. You need to read it out loud. And I try to – I'm very – I meditate a lot. I feel like I'm quite in tune with my body and the t minuscule emotions. So I'll try to feel the emotions that I feel by reading that copy and the words that, tr that the emotion triggers – if there's any, I, I think of it like a slippery slide. I want to have the slipperiest slide. So as soon as someone starts reading that, they just whoop. <laughs> and next minute before they even know that they're in my business, they're paying me money because there's slippery slope. There's no speed bumps. There's no like sentences that don't make sense. Everything's at like a grade four level. It's very easy words, complicated, large words. Don't sell anyone. They unsell people. So read everything and make it as slippery and smooth as possible with emotion in it. Why, why, why? Just keep asking why, right? And don't have we and our and us try to fl flip everything. So it's like, instead of saying we have uh, the best classes or we have five classes a, a week, five classes a day, you might say you get to enjoy five classes a day. We're talking in their perspective. So everything I've written, I'll try to flip it into their perspective. It's saying the same thing, but we're saying it better. And this is all and stuff. Split test. This is all stuff that you picked up studying these kind of um, these founders of these mm. direct marketing concepts. And obviously, you develop lessons yourself as well. But this—that's really what triggered these thought processes for you. I've done a lot of trial and error. So combination. A, yeah, I definitely a lot of credit to them. 
And then uh, a lot of it has been from just trial and error. The reason I said that because it could be cool for um, in the podcast page on the website, club forward slash podcast, that's it. Um, we could put, like, I know you've got a book recommendation, but maybe we could add on to there for, for listeners interested in kind of mm. learning what you've learned. We can add into there. Uh, there's one main guy I'm thinking of. I know his book, yeah. Boron Letters. Yeah, we'll add it in there so people can um, kind of see where you at least started learning. Gary Halbert. Gary Halbert. Gary Halbert and Dan Kennedy, top two guys. I'll write that down. Sure. Yeah. Both of them deceased, sadly, but they are – so Gary Halbert Gary Halbert holds the world record for the most number of letters sent in the US. They sent – it was something like five times every single household in the US received this one letter because every time they'd send it, it would make money. He sold to – he thought, how can I sell to every single person in the address book, in the phone book? What's the one thing they have – that we know about them so we can sell them. They haven't opted in for anything. What can we sell them? So he started selling them name plaques. So he wrote this awesome piece of copy that would sell them like a plaque looking at their ancestry about their name because that's all you knew about them, their name and address. And then he would send letters. So they sent like 1 billion letters in the US for a period of 10 years or something ridiculous. Now, don't quote me on this. But he holds the record for the most number of letters ever sent from this one sales piece. That is incredible. Mm. That is incredible. What a cool dude. Yeah. Hey, have you ever met or heard? Did you um, listen to our podcast episode? It was one of the first ones with uh, Alexis, uh, sorry, Alexi uh, Nucleus. I've met him and I've spoken with him. I didn't listen to the podcast. Uh, so. Listen to his podcast because he's, he's kind of um, line of thinking and, and um, knowledge base is, is in line with yours. I think you guys would have a really good uh, a really good chat. Oh, it was a great chat when I met him. Oh, you did? You were yeah. Right. yeah. How would you meet him? He's a Sydney member. Oh, he came, he, he he came to Melbourne once and I here. met him in the other awesome, room. Awesome, man. And tell me then um, tell me then about uh, COVID and how that's impacted or how that did impact you and how it's impacted you now um, because obviously the gym, gym industry got uh, quite hammered. Um, but great entrepreneurs will always find opportunities. So I'm just curious as to what your emotional response to COVID was and then how you managed yourself through the period. That was a uh, fun one. <laughs> COVID, COVID was one of my, I think I'll always treasure that experience. Um, when March came 2020, the gym started to go into lockdown across the globe. It all happened in March, everywhere across the globe. So enforced lockdowns, which meant that all our gyms were not, not just the ones that I owned, but also the, um, our clients they started getting massive amounts of cancellation emails. Like it was just bombarded. Like they were having panic attacks left, right and center, all our clients. Cause they're just getting every single client of theirs canceling their membership. Cause they're like, we're in lockdown for the next X amount of time. Don't know when it's going to end. I can't afford to pay you cause I've also lost my job. <laughs> so then that then trickled to us. So all our clients canceled all the gym owners and we're not going to, we can't force them to keep paying us. We can't, you can't sell gym memberships in person when you're going into a lockdown for an undefined amount of time and everyone's scared of COVID. So we had to stop everyone's marketing. So we went from having a very consistent high level of revenue coming in and they went from having a very consistent high level of revenue coming in to zero within two weeks. So we burned through, it was about a hundred thousand dollars just in um, March to April in losses, in losses, just Jeez. cash out of the bank savings gone. I just had to keep pumping it because unfortunately that pivot was also very expensive. So we had, we released a, a course. I didn't, didn't get a break for like four months. I think I worked 
hundred hour weeks, eight, eight, seven days, eight days a week, even um, for four months straight. But we pivoted. We were at the Grand Prix with Cub the day before lockdown, and uh, I remember talking there, and you actually said something that that changed my mindset. I'm very grateful for you said. Um, some of the guys I know, they're excited for COVID. They're excited for lockdown. They're excited for the chaos. And I thought, okay, if some people can be excited by this, I'm going to figure out how to be excited by this. So then I tried to look at it from that lens. What opportunities are here? It's going to be shit. It's going to suck. It's going to be painful. But there's opportunities here for the taking. So we launched a course and flipped, I think, 2,450-odd gyms across the globe within three weeks, we flipped 2,400 gyms online. Like, I don't know anyone who even came close to that. So, so your existing clients or inc- new public, people as well? The public. We use it as an opportunity to like get people into our sphere. So it was free. It was a free program that we launched for them. We gave them all the templates. We gave them heaps of coaching. And we just used it as a way to kind of gain territory and get some goodwill. Um, and we flipped so many. It was ridiculous. What, sorry, what do you mean by flipped? So they're all selling in-person services. They've never sold online training before. So we had to flip them into online training. We had to give them an entirely new business model, teach them how to sell online training and teach them the methods of getting clients to actually buy into online training and how to deliver online training. So a lot of people were resistant to online training. A lot of PTs or gym owners, their whole value perception is based on coming into the gym. They think that online training is worthless. A lot of the public think that's online training is worthless. So, so we had to flip that entire business model. We basically created 2,400 new businesses in three weeks. Um, and a lot of gym owners just failed. Like the US, I would say, don't quote me on this again, but, but let's say 40% of gyms went out of business permanently. And in Australia, I'd say it's probably around 25% permanently um, within about six months there, maybe even higher. I'm probably being conservative with that number. So COVID was tough. Um, but then one of the opportunities I figured was that, so thankfully it only took us two months to get profitable again. So I burned through a lot of cash for two months. Thankfully I had cash and then, uh, we started to be profitable again. And then June was actually our largest month that we'd had on record up until that point. Um, so we started just enrolling clients like crazy because that was kind of like some of the ones that we're going to give up, they gave up. And then the other ones that were left were like, okay, gyms are closing down. Let's take the field. Let's charge while others retreat. You need to attack and you need to wipe them out. So this is like where you need to, it was really a a dog eat dog situation. The strong ones were going to double down and the weak ones were going to die out. And that was the fact of it. So we tried to teach them how to take over the membership. Like if, if one gym that lost 2000 members and they closed down, how can we take those 2000 members into your gym, pre-sell them? So that when you do open back up, they've got a guaranteed spot because we tried to create some, and we did successfully, we created some scarcity around half the gyms have closed down. When we open back up again, you're probably not going to have a gym. You're not going to have space for a gym. We can't take you because we've got COVID restrictions. So if you want to be able to go to gym again, you need to pre-buy gym membership now in the remaining gym. So we just started pre-selling memberships and they'd have online training in the meantime. Um, And then thankfully the U S took longer to go into lockdowns. Australia was in hard lockdown quickly. So the U S floated us for a while because their lockdowns weren't so severe. And then as the U S went into severe lockdowns and they closed all the gyms, thankfully Australia started coming out. So for a while there, we were floated by like Queensland and North, uh, New South Wales and Perth because <laughs> Victoria didn't ever come out of lockdown. 
Um, and then now the US is opening back up again. So it's uh, a lot of the comp competition was decimated and we've had record months pretty consistently this year. And really, I guess a kind of cool lesson from that too is that you were providing almost free services at mm. one point. Too. Had to. Yeah, which, which is great because it not only did it create goodwill, but it, it went, once the economy returns, you're going to have an increase in revenue from all these new people that you had contact with or that you brought value to in that very difficult time. Well, I had, we had eight staff roughly in, uh, in March 2020. Now we have 24. So all of that was built through COVID because we exploded. Is that in more gym members? Yeah, That's their in marketing MGM, company. Yeah. Just in sales, in fulfillment, in marketing, in client success management, just the team grew exponentially. And the ones that were there already, they were forged by fire. They were bonded by fire in a way. So they're very tight knit. Yeah, I agree. Now. That happened. That, that, that's one of the most positive things that can happen. Your team has gone to war together and now they're ready to battle whenever. And in easy times, good. But when the tough times comes, they're battle ready. They're, they know what it's like to fight next to each other with together to overcome some sort of adversity. I think that was the best thing COVID did for the companies that, that did, um, were lucky enough to, to push through. What, what would you say were your greatest lessons in COVID, what were the things that are now going to serve you moving forwards, having uh, having learned due to your experiences in COVID? I mean, one of the biggest lessons that I learned there was how to buy a company. So going into COVID, I had one gym and I had planned on getting five gyms by the end of 2020 anyway. And this really gave me the catalyst to be able to do that. So I quickly learned and studied how to buy businesses cheap and like vet them properly and then fix them up. So it was just a lot of like creating documentations and processes and, and um, legal documents, a massive amount of stuff that goes into buying a company and then make that into a system so that I could locate businesses, gyms that were struggling and they were struggling because of certain reasons and they matched my criteria that we could then make them profitable again. And then I just started, I took over four other gyms. And you get them at a cheap price because they're all going out of business. They're all about to go they bankrupt. They need you to take over their lease basically. Yeah. And so really what I get from you too. I want to hear more lessons, but what I get from you is that a lot of what you do is actually study. <laughs> One thing I got told, uh, JT Fox, he said it two years ago, I think I was at a big thing, conference thing that he did. And he said, you need to be paid to think. And I took, that was the one nugget that I took away from that. I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. You need to be paid to think. Your job as the director is to be paid to think. You're not paid to do the work, essentially. You're paid to strategize, contemplate, and like, think through every possible scenario that could happen and have plans in place for those. So one of the practices that I also, from buying companies, one thing that I think was quite interesting and taught me some great skills was writing contracts, going through like 50 page friggin' agreements and f every single possible term that might need to be added into that, thinking about it, what can we put in place to stop that from not going in my favor? And then that's really good at helping you mind map and plan um, every possible scenario. Like if you look at like the, some of the richest, most successful guys ever, anywhere, like a lot of people don't like Donald Trump, but that man had been planning to be president since he was in his 20s. He, he didn't accidentally become a president and he didn't accidentally become a billionaire, right? And same with like some of the old Roman emperors. I think the, it's not Julius Caesar, it's whoever, something Caesar. Oh, yeah. Marcus Aurelius probably. <laughs> Not Marcus Aurelius, but I know him. <laughs> you got to watch Gladiator. It gives you all your fucking Roman yeah. knowledge. <laughs> what's his name? What's uh, Russell Crowe's name in Gladiator? 
I am Maximus Meridius, De- Maximus Decimus Meridius, leader of the Northern Armies, commander of the <laughs> my father to a murder. Oh, I don't fucking know. It was good, Jim. <laughs> That's my favorite movie. That's got to be one of the top movies in the world. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. So, so I was having this conversation yesterday because one of the um, core members asked me, what do you do in the morning? Because you've got so many things going on. What do you do in the morning? So it took me a good 12 months of just like looking at what other successful people do. There's two topics I'm going to go here. One's morning routine and then what I do after the morning routine. So I tried to adopt everyone else's morning routine that I would see as, are oh, they successful? I'll copy their morning routine. I don't like that. I don't like that, but I like that bit. And then I'll adopt it into mine. And I just kept trialing these morning routines until I figured out my like master priming thing. And I can't remember what the book was, but it was about like the Olympians. They, they figure out how to get them into a state themselves into a state. And then they compress the time it takes to get them into a state and the triggers needed to get them into that state. So my focus was like, if, okay, if I can get, if it takes me 30 minutes to do um, some yoga or something, and then it gets me calm and stretched out, how can I compress it to 10 minutes and figure out what were the optimal stretches to get me primed in 10 minutes and then the meditation and the visualization. So my, my routine now is 10 minutes of uh, stretching, then 10 minutes of meditation, and then 10 minutes of Chinese lessons. And then if I do that, I'm set. If I don't do it for three days in a row, I'm like jittery. What are Chinese lessons? I'm learning Chinese, learning to speak Mandarin. Okay, just in case Australia becomes <laughs> China. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. <laughs> They're the largest trading partner for 160-odd countries or something. So, so – and then it's about being paid to think. So people will uh, always try to interrupt you. Everyone has an agenda, right? You've got your agenda. Your staff have got their agenda. Your clients have got their agenda. Everyone wants you to focus on their agenda. It's it, the opportunities. It, I found it very quickly becomes not about finding opportunities. It becomes about saying no to opportunities and trying to cut as much out of your distractions away from you as possible. Constantly getting people wanting my attention. So I don't reply to emails. I don't have, my phone doesn't ring. So if you call me, it doesn't ring. (laughs) Uh, I don't open emails very rarely because I don't want people's distractions, right? I've got my thing that I'm doing. Staff know how to contact me and it's in our meetings that are weekly. You can't really contact me other than that. So then I let them do it and create systems and it's where the engineering background comes in um, where you, you assign something and then try to figure out how to, bring that task or that ongoing thing into numbers and then just look at the numbers and the spreadsheets. And if I, if I know that these three numbers are in check, then everything's good. And I just, I can look at that in five minutes. Right. And then I can focus on learning and strategizing and thinking and mulling things over and planning and documents and whatnot. And, and just to get back to lessons that caused, uh, were caused by COVID and mm. um, other than, uh, you know, the ability learning how to buy businesses and reviewing contracts, what, what would you say is another lesson? I think one lesson there was to take care of myself as well because it was about October, November. I remember I was on – and this is after not having a day off for six months. (laughs) And I was looking at my hands at the computer and they were shaking and I was like, oh, crap, like I'm I'm on the brink of having a freaking breakdown or something. So I needed to have a holiday. And it was – I think the the whole – the structure that universities and colleges take where you've got – like 12 weeks of intense study and then you go like a month holiday or a two-week holiday. I think that structure of really intense push and then a break and you don't think about work. Like do not think about work at all. You're not allowed – you need to enjoy the shit out of that holiday, right? So I take that – it's like doing reps. I tell the gym owners, 
when they're feeling the pressure. I say it's like doing a rep. You don't do a bicep curl and hold the bicep. You don't hold the dumbbell up the whole time. You do a rep. You tense it and then you release it. You tense it and then you release it. If you're not doing the releasing part, you're not getting any gains in business or mental growth or muscles. So it's have holidays, enjoy no, the holidays. I've never related the school the school year to, to, to business breaks. That's a really cool thought. I like that a lot. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, this has been a fantastic conversation. You've got here as uh, one of your book recommendations, uh, excluding the dudes, the guys that you mentioned, Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Mm. Um, why is that? What's that? A good, obviously, it's about scaling, but... What's it a good book for in terms so, of what, what did you take from it? So a lot of people have read The E-Myth. It's a, quite a famous book. I would say this is like E-Myth 2.0. It probably goes into more in depth. And it has some very uh, kind of copy and paste systems. I like, I love swipe and deploy systems in business. So this has a lot of like succulent swipe and deploy systems. So here's the meeting rhythm. Here's what you say in each meeting. Here's the topics that you cover. Who's, here's what's included in each meeting. And then So you like a, a sturdy operations manual? Yeah, it's like an operations manual in a way. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Here's the here's the, what typically happens at 10 employees. Here's what happens at 50 employees. Here's what happens at 500 employees. Here's how to combat that. And as a um, as a young entrepreneur joining Cub, how do you think the club and the community have assisted you on this journey? The same principle that I said that I apply for marketing where I look at other businesses and what they're doing well, how can I copy it? That's something that I think I get to do very well because I get to just probe and ask people about what they're doing, how they're doing it, why do they think it's working, what have they tried and it's failed. I can just deploy that in my own business. So A, it's increased my network and my um, – I think everyone's heard the saying about having five friends closest to you or whatnot or whoever you spend your most time with you become. I didn't want to be a, a uni student that's broke and uh, at the clubs all the time so I need to get out of that network – and go to business people who are doing high pressure deals or mastering their life balance or something that I would say is in the, in the 1%. I wanted to be with the 1%. So Cub has allowed me to do that. Awesome. That's really cool, man. Well, you've been, you're probably still one of the youngest members in Melbourne. You've been a member for almost four years now and the club is stronger for having you in it. So thank you for being a part of it. Um, that's it for today, guys. If you want to get in touch with Riley um, um, and you're a member, reach out to, to the team. If you're not a member, go to cub.club forward slash podcast. You'll find his LinkedIn link. You'll <laughs> find everything you need, the websites and uh, the books, but also the additional uh, material that he's studied. Uh, Riley, you're an incredible person, man. You should be very proud of what you've accomplished. Um, and I'm proud to have you in, this, in, in our community. Uh, to the listeners, hope you enjoyed the show. Awesome. Thanks, legends.